Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Tudor as we talk to you about college basketball, the NBA, the MLB, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 166. Kenny Pickett, the former Pitt quarterback who uh, entered the NFL, had his hand measured during the combine. And if you didn't know this, uh, I didn't actually until today, but to measure your hand in the NFL, you take your hand, put it out in front of you right now, palm facing you, extend your fingers as far as they can, left to right, you know, fanning out your fingers, measure the distance from the tip of your pinky to the tip of your thumb. That is your hand span measurement for the NFL. The 8311 cast host did this, and we found out that only one of us has a smaller hand size than Kenny Pickett who has a hand span of 8.5 inches, the smallest of any current NFL quarterback. Check out our Twitter page, at 8311cast, to see what our results were for this hand span, and let us know if you have a bigger hand span than Kenny Pickett. I am really interested to see all of our listeners respond with their hand sizes. I really want to know your hand sizes. This is important information. Also, uh, we found out that three out of the four of us have a larger non-dominant hand span than dominant hand span. So also let us know if that's the case for you as well. Yeah, official measurement though is of your dominant hand because you know that's the one that you're going to be gripping and throwing a football with. So yep. don't give us like the bigger of the two. Only want your dominant hand. Am I the only left-hander? Yeah. I didn't know you were left-handed. I didn't either. Yeah, I'm left-handed, so it makes me a better quarterback. Well, we got the only southpaw here. Why are there so few left-handed quarterbacks if it makes you a better quarterback? They're just less left-handed people. I mean, but not the significant enough difference to make to reflect the difference in quarterbacks. Because they switch them all to baseball? That's probably what I was thinking. You make more as a left-handed pitcher than a left-handed quarterback. Right. There's a, And there's also a bigger market for you. Yeah. For sure. Anyway, you probably don't want to listen to us talk about... Uh, hands for the entire episode. See, I'm sure somebody would. This isn't our hand episode? No, this is not a hand episode. Oh, okay. This is not a hand episode. <laughs> maybe maybe next week. But for now, we got to talk about uh, Cyclone Basketball as we're getting close to the tournament here. Um, it wasn't a particularly good week for the team. I'm not going to go as far as saying it was a bad week, but I don't know. Would you guys say it was a bad week? I mean, you lose at home to Oklahoma State. In an killed. absolutely terrible, at home by right? State. I, I mean, it, it's your senior night—a night that you expect to have some sort of um, energy. And and this team just came out absolutely lackluster. Honestly, it, it was probably one of the most frustrating performances I would say that this team has had. Uh, offensively, they were horrible. They were giving up a lot of um, like Oklahoma State runs these out of bounds plays where one big man on the opposite side of the inbounds play under the basket uh, runs up towards the elbow and then dives back down for an alley-oop. That was given up twice in the game. A pretty easy play to defend, I would think, if you at least know what's coming. Uh, but yeah, the team just didn't didn't have anything at all. They never really got into a, into a rhythm. And getting down big was obviously the theme of this week, as we'll get into when we talk about Baylor in a little bit. But I, honestly, I think you Oklahoma State was a game that you mark on the calendar. Um, it, you beat them on the road, sure. But 
you mark it on the calendar as a home game, especially senior night, you have to win those games. Uh, defend home court. Now, if you don't do it against Baylor or Kansas, being the top two teams in the Big 12, fine, right? You're going to lose a few games at home unless you're the best team or one of the top three teams in the conference, which I would say clearly wasn't. But you have to be, you have to be a 500 team on the year at home. It, there's there's kind of no excuse for that, and especially with the circumstances surrounding it. So I would say it's the it's the worst game of the season that Iowa State played. I don't know if anyone else has thoughts or rebuttal to that, but it was not pretty. It definitely was the worst game that they've played. I mean, 36 points is 36 points. Like, Isaiah Brockington had 35 points, like, one game before this, and then we scored 36 points as a team. So that's really, like, kind of puts it all out there. And you don't really need to know much more than we scored 36 points in the entire game. Right. Mike, how many how many spots did you say it dropped us in Ken Palm after just that one game? Yeah, we dropped 10 spots in Ken Palm-ish just by losing that one game. That's how bad it was. Exactly what you need to see as to how bad of a loss that was. Uh, I, I mean, Mike and Arian might have the information for this. I don't. But Oklahoma State, not a horrible team in the net rankings, but also not what Iowa State is Iowa State, I mean, just on paper, is the better team. You should win those home games, let alone score more than 40 points. I mean, this is there's high school basketball teams who do better than that. Um, it, it's just, it, I would call it embarrassing, an embarrassing final performance. It's a tough way to go out for players like George Condit, who, yeah, we harp on him a lot, but I, this guy... It, I read a story this week that um, before he even came to Iowa State, he, he was always repping his colors everywhere that he would go in his hometown before he, um, or when he committed to Iowa State and before he was on campus. This guy does bleed cardinal and gold, and it's just a very hard way to go out in your final home game in Hilton Coliseum. So... Yeah, I don't really think there's any excuse to that. Whereas there's some carryover into the Baylor game, who knows? But, I mean, you get down, what was it, 24 to 6 at one point? Was that was that one of the, I, it, that's how bad it was in the first. It, it was at the point where a lot of people on Twitter, diehard Cyclone fans, were about to turn the game off. Granted, they came back and, I mean, we actually pulled up, pulled out a lead somehow in this game uh, but it just was too little too late. I mean, you can wonder the if, ands, and buts of if there was a better start to this game, how how would this have game how would this game turned out differently? You never know. It is Baylor at home in their final game, going for a share of the Big Twelve title is what they were what they were after, but just really slow offensive performances by Iowa State is really the like pinnacle of what this team was about this year. Offensive performances really hurt us uh, in at times. And there was a lot of games where if they were a big blowout, it was obviously because our offense was performing horribly. So Arian, do you want to share with us some of the some of the lackluster efforts that you were sharing in the group chat today about Gabe Kalsher this season and kind of his decline from last year? Yeah, I'm just just looking at it today. It was just a little bit Disappointing. We've been talking about it, obviously, throughout the season that Gabe Kalsher just was not as great as we would have liked. 
this year, but I was just looking back now that the regular season is over and he ended up on the year shooting 35.9% from the field, 24.7% from three and 67.7% from the line. I mean, not even one of four from three, basically two out of every three free throws. He shot, he shot worse than Condit did from the line. He shot worse from three than Tyrese Hunter did. Like that's a, that's a that's a pretty bad season for somebody who's supposed to come in and be a shooter for from the outside. And uh, Mike mentioned that his turnovers were a lot worse this year than before. He was around a 14% turnover rate pretty much his entire career at Minnesota, and that jumped up to 23.3% this year. So regardless of Mike has told us many times not to get us our hopes up and hope he'll get it back, but uh, even if he returned to average, it wouldn't be fantastic, but it would be better than what he did this year for sure. Uh, there is an opportunity, a, a chance that he may come back. Uh, it just really depends on what he feels like he wants to do in the future. If college ball is just what he likes to do, I think we all know he's probably not going into the NBA, especially off that effort. So if he wants to keep playing, he is welcome to come back. And if nothing else, we could have a great defensive leader and hopefully somebody who could shoot a little bit better than that. But, um, you know, we kind of got to see what will happen. We don't know for sure. Um, I also believe... I want to say in the Ken Palm ranking, Oklahoma State is actually above us by one spot. They are in the Ken Palm. They're about two spots below us in the net, uh, four below us in the net, and two forty-five and to forty-one. Ken Palm, yeah. So pretty close, but uh, yeah, we did not play that game particularly close, so it doesn't really matter that much. But I will give credit to the Oklahoma State guys. They kind of got handed a raw deal this year. They're not going to be able to go into the tournament. They're not eligible. We all know. And those guys fought hard all season, and they played really well, and they would be a tournament team if they had the option to. So all credit no, to those guys. No, no, no. They're 500. You're not making the tournament at 500. No Why chance. not? You do not make the NCAA tournament no. at 500. No oh, chance. You don't. They, in their, their record out of conference is not that of a team that makes the NCAA tournament. All their advanced statistics say they're good. Right, but that doesn't matter lie. all the time. You gotta I win thought we the cared game. about the net. You do, but you got to win the dang games, too. Mm. Winning matters. Mm. Winning matters. It's not the only thing Fair that enough. matters. Fair enough. This is, I mean, that Oklahoma State team is a, is a classic resume for an NIT team. Yes, I agree with that. They'd probably be, but they're ineligible for the NIT, too, of course. Correct. So their, season, their season is over. They're done. They're not even playing in the Big 12 tournament that's coming up this week. Um, Big 12 tournament starts officially on Wednesday um, with the singular play-in game, which Iowa State avoided. They ended up as a sixth seed um, in the NCAA tournament. Um, right? Sixth seed? Yeah. Math is hard, but it is a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, oh, no, sorry, the Big 12 tournament. So that leads them to a date with three-seed Texas Tech in the first round. Um that game will be Thursday at 8.30 p.m. approximately. Um, it'll depend on when the previous game ends, but approximately 8.30 p.m. on ESPN2. Um, we were talking about a little this a little off air before we started, but Ariane and I both think this is a really bad Big 12 tournament draw um, for the Cyclones. I still think Texas Tech is the best team in the conference, despite them getting the three seed. Um, this, I just think this is a really bad draw for the Cyclones. Yeah, I mean... They're, they are a fantastic team. Uh, I, I think they're probably our worst matchup. Even 
The only one I can consider that I might be more scared of is Baylor, but Texas Tech is terrible. I mean, our best thing about our team is defense, and we're a great defensive team, and they're better than us at that by far, and they're way, way better than us at offense. Uh, I don't know where we really have an advantage here. Technically, by the numbers, we're a better three-point shooting team, but we've seen how that goes for us. Uh, Either it, it's we will scary. kill them from three, or we will shoot terribly. We don't shoot average from three, pretty much ever. Yeah, just a just a tough matchup, um, a win, and we probably end up with uh, with Baylor in the in the uh, semifinals if we do somehow manage to get past Texas Tech. So, um, I mean, granted, any draw is tough in this turn in this tournament, but I think this one is particularly bad for the Cyclones. Yeah, but uh, imagine what our seeding would do if we went ahead and won this tournament. Theoretically, Texas Tech, Baylor, and then probably KU all in three games, basically. That would be exciting. This is another point I wanted to bring up, and I don't think conference tournaments really have that big of an effect on seeding. I think even if we win this tournament, I think we probably only go up two seed lines. Like, that's not a huge difference. It's not like we're going to shoot from an eight seed to a four seed by winning this tournament. A perspective eight nine to a six seven is a pretty big jump, though. Yeah, that's true. It does make getting up to the six line would be huge. Yeah, that would be a big deal. But I've been saying that for. I just don't think it's doable. And even if we win the tournament, I don't know. Well, I don't know if we get up to that six line. We'll see. We'll see. It is selection Sunday. Is less than a week away. Um, that'll be uh, noon on or not noon. I believe it is five p.m. Central Time on Sunday on CBS. Um, tune in to see um, where your Cyclones play. Um, and if you're looking for the full Big 12 tournament bracket, check out the 8311 Twitter page um, if you want to know when the Cyclones might play, if they can get past uh, Texas Tech. Um, so Kyle posed the question here in our outline to ask if this team is comfortably in. Um, eight minutes into that Baylor game, I would say no. But then based on the comeback they had against Baylor, they didn't embarrass themselves. They actually moved up in the net and Ken Palm. Um, because of that performance, I am saying yes, they're comfortably in. Um, I think most people, all do all of you agree? I think yes, we're comfortably in. I've been saying yes, even when you said no. I, I think if this team doesn't perform well against Texas Tech, what does perform well mean? I mean, if it's an absolute blowout and this team score has another sub 40 point performance in the Big 12 tournament, then... I mean, you might get your headbands out, and and it might be a little sweaty. I think this team is, I think this team is still in what they they place place the lowest usually like uh, power conference team on the ten line. Maybe they don't usually go below a ten seed uh, in the NCAA tournament. So I think this team is probably an eight nine seed team, which. It's going to be a 50-50 NCAA tournament uh, game in, in the round of 64, and then after that, you get one of the one seeds. Uh, so definitely not a um, a clear road forward for this team in the NCAA tournament. But hey, after a two and twenty-two or two and whatever or two win season last year, you know we'll take it, right? Yeah. Well, so. T- the experts, if we're going to look at the experts, the experts say, yes, absolutely. The Cyclones are comfortably in the tournament. According to the bracket matrix, all 127 of the bracketologists 
currently have Iowa State in the tournament with an average of an 8.2 seed, average seeding of 8.2, so pretty squarely on the 8 line. Um, like and right, going by the same thing that conference tournaments don't affect seeding that much, right? Losing to Texas Tech on a neutral site is not not going to hurt you. It's certainly not going to hurt you enough that it's going to drop you from an eight seed to out. There would need to be major, major upsets in a ton of conference tournaments for me to be sweating about Iowa State. Um, I think they're a nine seed at worst, at worst in this tournament. That that would be my prediction. So, with the potential to move up, they're just not moving down much because of this tournament. That's my thoughts. Um, I also want to say, um, when I was looking at some of the, the numbers today, I think Iowa State has found the best way to schedule the non-conference um, in order to maximize your NCAA tournament chances. And so what Iowa State did is they played, in the non-conference, they played a lot of good teams like good major conference teams in neutral sites or on the road. And then all of the other teams that they played, the non-major conference teams, were just really, really awful. And I think that's the absolute best way to schedule it because no one is going to fault you for losing those games on the road, right? Like if you would have lost to Memphis on a neutral site or Creighton on the road, that's not a bad loss by any means. But it is a good win. Like that Creighton win is still, and that Memphis win, those are still quad one wins that the Iowa State is getting right now. And then you want all your other games to be terrible because you just want to rack up wins then, right? Winning still matters, as we talked about with Oklahoma State, right? You need to rack up some wins in the non-conference, so you want to make sure all of the games that aren't going to be good wins for you are just so easy that you can that it would be really hard to lose. That's how Iowa State scheduled this year. That's how you get um, three quad one wins in the non-conference and still have a uh, non-conference strength of schedule that's ranked 330 out of, um, out of 358 teams in the nation. And I think that's perfect, in my opinion. You guys can disagree, but I think that's perfect. No, I mean, I think it makes as much sense as anything. I don't see why you wouldn't do that. I mean, it stands to reason that you would have quite a few easy games and then give yourself a couple challenges. Why not put them on the road? I think that is probably the best way, not only for rankings and standings, but just to understand what you even have on a team. Yeah, yep. I think it's working to perfection for the Cyclones team. It's great. Um, Anybody else have anything on the men's side they're holding out on they want to bring up here before we move over to the women's side? Uh, no, just keep your fingers crossed because uh, we're going to be thwarting odds to win that game. Uh, what's BPI say for that? Do they have that up yet? I believe it's a 22% chance for Iowa State to win when I look. Let me double check. 21.3% chance to win. So uh, if we win, awesome. If we lose, kind of what we expected. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. But yeah, check out the Twitter for the rest of the bracket too if we do win. Um, on the women's side, there's only been one game since we last talked, since we talked about how that Baylor game was a loss during last week's episode. Um, they beat West Virginia um, in Morgantown, but West Virginia is bad, so that was expected. Um, ended up finishing uh, alone number two in the standings, 14-4 and four in the Big 12, um, tied for the most wins in Big 12 history for the Cyclones um, with 14. 
So that's um, a really, really good season. Um, we get the two seed in the Big 12 tournament, which will get us the winner of Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, who are um, playing in a play-in game. That game will be on Friday at 5 p.m. Um, for that game. Um, not sure on TV for that one. It may not be televised. Uh, it'll be on uh, ESPN+. Plus. I stand corrected. So even if the Cyclones men lose on Thursday, you'll still have the Cyclone women on Friday and then probably Saturday as well. Um, again, you can check the Twitter page. We've posted the women's Big 12 tournament bracket as well. So you can take a look at that to plan out your your conference championship viewing over the weekend. Um, as for the uh, NCAA tournament prospects for the women, um, they're still projected at a two seed um, in most bracketology, women's bracketologies that I've seen. Um, two seed, three seed, um, one of those two, depending on the result of the, the Big 12 tournament. I don't think there's any way they end up below a three or above a two. So keep an eye on the, the women's selection show is also on Sunday. They've moved it from Monday to Sunday this year, I believe. So that'll also be next Sunday, the 13th. So keep an eye on both of those. And of course, on next week's episode, we'll fill you in on how the conference tournaments went and the seating for the NCAA tournament. So also, after uh, Selection Sunday... Stay tuned for a, a uh, special 8311cast episode where we break down the bracket in more detail for you. Um, I end with the college season wrapping up. The NBA uh, season is getting there, too. You want to fill us in on what's been happening there? Yeah, so I just thought I would take a second here and just highlight a little bit of the MVP race. Uh, quite a few people have been having fantastic seasons. People who I don't even consider to really be in the front running for the MVP race. You got LeBron, uh, John Morant, DeMar DeRozan all having fantastic seasons. Tons of highlights, great stats. But in my opinion, the MVP race is basically a three-horse race. And they are all big men who we got told were all dying out. Uh, obviously not true. And they're all international players, interestingly enough. That would be Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, Jokic put up 46 points, 12 rebounds, 11 assists, 4 blocks, and 3 steals last week in a game. That was his second 45-point triple-double this year. Uh, no one else has even had one. Uh, and he was the first player to hit all of those statistical benchmarks since they started tracking blocks and steals back in 73-74. Obviously, they're very specific and... Sports loves nothing more than to cherry pick, especially NBA with all the box score options, but still pretty impressive uh, to do something that no one's literally ever done that we could track. Um, just to fill you guys in, I just pulled up their box score. Just basic stats. If you're looking at any advanced statistics, uh, Jokic probably leads. Uh, he is incredible in every single advanced statistic, but eye test guys don't love that as much, so I just pulled the basic box score stuff up. You know, minutes, field goal, three-point percentage, rebounds, assists, all that stuff. And I just highlighted who the winner was. Uh, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight categories in which Jokic wins. Three categories in which Joel Embiid wins. And one in which Giannis wins. Uh, games played, minutes per game, field goal percentage, three-point percentage, rebounds, assists, steals, and the least amount of personal fouls. That is all Nikola Jokic. 
Joel Embiid is leading in free throw percentage, the least amount of turnovers, and the most points per game. And then Giannis is leading in blocks per game. Obviously, Giannis is probably the best two-way force out of them, just being so great on defense as well as offense. Um, It'll be interesting to see how it goes for the rest of the year, given Joel Embiid just added a superstar to his team. Um, People like to point out the seeding difference between the Nuggets and the 76ers. It seems like most of the conversation is featured around Jokic and Embiid, but I do believe they're only about two games off of each other in the actual record. It's just that the East is a little bit weaker than the West. Uh, And Giannis Antetokounmpo, he probably will suffer from some voter fatigue and just having a better team overall. He's got Drew Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, whereas uh, Embiid has had Tyrese Maxey as his second best player. Granted, a very research, he's been a fantastic player this year, but... Tyrese Maxey isn't exactly your 1B that you're looking for on a championship team as much as James Harden will be, and Nikola Jokic has basically had nobody with uh, Jamal Murray out and uh, Michael Porter Jr. out for most of the season. His next best player is probably Aaron Gordon. I mean, depending on the week, it might be Monte Morris. He's had some really good games, but keep an eye on that. I would The numbers favor Nikola Jokic, in my opinion, for player of the year. But we'll see what the voters say. That That's what's surprising to me, too. Everyone I've heard, like, in the national media talking about this has said it's Embiid's award to lose. Yes. I'm and not I just, exactly sure. I, I, right, I hadn't looked at the numbers until right now when you put them in front of me. But looking at this, I'm not sure why either. Like, to me, this looks pretty even between yeah, the two. The numbers are just glare. Well, I would say the numbers are glaringly obvious for Nikola Jokic, yes. honestly. And the fact that he's, I would say that Nikola Jokic is more of a, is more valuable of a player to the Nuggets to get them to where they are right now than Embiid is. Embiid's got a little bit more help with Tobias Harris, correct me if I'm wrong, right? It's been kind of terrible this year, but yes, in theory. In theory, he's got more help with, with, with Maxi who has been uh, in a resurgence. Think I picked him up on my fantasy team, so that's how I know he's doing well. Um, but, you know, I, Nikola Jokic is just such a different player. Yes, Joel Embiid gets to the free throw line a ton, but Nikola Jokic is really the point guard a lot for the Nuggets. I mean, look at those assists per game. Eight with only three points. Turnovers per game as a how tall is he seven is he a seven he's footer a, he's a seven footer right I mean that's that's unheard of now is everyone going to take that into account hey, you know who knows his blocks for a seven footer are a little are a little low but I, you've I got one say, of the best passers in the league honestly honestly as your big man yes he is one of the best passers in the entire league he averages. A, he leads every single box score for his team. Points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, everything. He is that team. He's the motor. He's the engine. He's the brakes, the gas, the clutch, everything. If you took Nikola Jokic off that team, they're not winning very many games at all. Um, I don't know if it's because he got picked last year. I don't know if he's just... The way he does it is a little less sexy. He looks kind of awkward out there. Uh, I mean, he's cut down a lot of weight, but he was kind of a... A flabbier. He doesn't have a lot of definition in his arms. 
He's not exactly one to get up in the media and talk to people that much. He's very understated. Joel Embiid is a master of the media. He's hilarious. He's on social media all the time. It just seems like people don't vibe with Nikola Jokic as much as they do Joel Embiid. And there could be voter fatigue as well there. He just got it last year. But if we're going by numbers and we're going by not narrative, then it has to be Nikola Jokic. But we'll we'll see what people say, because I feel like people really want to give it to Joel Embiid for whatever reason. Yeah, and I mean, the last three, or the last, what, have they got about 20 games left for each team? Could change a lot uh, in terms of these perceptions, too. So it's too early to vote for sure, but I'd be conflicted between Jokic and Embiid right now if I was a voter. The, the one thing that is interesting to me this year is how healthy Embiid has been like throughout the season. And I wonder if that's contributing to the factor of him being or being in that what Mike spoke to, like it's his award to lose at this point. People people like that he's carrying the team with Ben Simmons being out with all that drama. He kind of stepped up. He's been a really good leader. He hasn't really said anything too terrible about him when he had many chances to go ahead and say that. And he's led his team to a good record. I mean, the 76ers are 39 and 24. For second place in the East, uh, the Denver Nuggets are in sixth, but they're 38 and 26. So like almost identical records. And the Denver Nuggets, let me pull up their roster here. I mean, Aaron Gordon, Jeff Green. I, I don't know who you said the next best player is on that team. Sometimes Facundo Campazzo is starting games like he doesn't have a ton of help there. Yeah, but we'll see. Last 20 games could make a difference. The numbers the numbers show one thing, but they can change in 20 games, too. Um, the numbers really aren't changing in the calculus of the lockout for Major League Baseball, though. Um, the players and owners did fail to reach a deal um, before their self-imposed deadline, like we mentioned last week. The owners have canceled the first week of the season, and there hasn't been much movement in negotiations this week. So they're probably going to cancel the second week of the season um, sometime this week. Um, we're not going in the right direction here, right? Because as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, as soon as they start canceling games, you've moved backwards in the negotiations, right? Because now they're going to negotiate about whether or not the players are going to get paid their full salaries if and when we start. Because the players have basically said, even if we don't play 162, you're going to pay us for it or we're not going to agree to expanded playoffs, which they had previously agreed to if they started the season on time. Um, and that could cost Major League Baseball upwards of $100 million a year um, if they don't get expanded playoffs. So really they went backwards um, because they didn't get this deal done before games were canceled. Um, hasn't been much movement since then. There's not much else to report, but it's, it's not good news. Um, it's very possible that we won't see baseball until May. Um, and we probably won't see it until at least mid-April at this point. Um, it's it's not good. Not much concrete to report, but it's just not good. It's not a good situation. It makes me sad. If you sad. were going to put a percentage on the chance that we don't have baseball this season at all, what would that percentage be? Hmm. I would probably tend to say it's about a... I'd say there's a good 33% chance. So there's a one-third chance that we don't have baseball at all this year. It might be a little high, but... Yeah. What would you say the percentage chances that we, I don't know, get a deal done in the next week? Probably also at about 33%. <laughs> okay, that's kind of what I thought as well. <laughs> I, I would I would even probably lean a little lower than that. 
I I mean, they haven't. Have they been at the table that much this week so far, Mike? Since we they last met, spoke, they met Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday um, this last week. So they took a few days off after their marathon negotiating stretched into Tuesday of last week. Um, but they were back at the table Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, and they did hash a few things out regarding rules. We'll get into those in future weeks. But as far as economics issues, um, they're still a ways apart. So, I will say, we, we do seem like we're a ways apart. But like every time we see that somebody failed to put a deal through, like at least numbers are moving. We're doing something. If you remember what it was like, I mean, it feels like a million years ago now, but where the meetings were lasting under 10 minutes, they would just walk in, say, screw you, and I'll see you next week. And that was what happened Mm -hmm. every single time. We're at least farther than that. Money is being lost. So theoretically, people should have motivation to get this done. And eventually, you would think that motivation will be enough to actually do something. Mm -hmm. Yes. But we'll see. I I thought it would get done long before this, so... uh... Well, in, in... So I just proposed this question for our listeners who might be curious. Mike, do you have any indication of like once a deal is in place, how quickly can they start spring training in their ramp up period? They would probably report to camp. They would probably be like within two days, they would report to camp for COVID intake testing, which I presume they would still have to do. Um and then camps could probably start within three or four days of of a vote getting ratified. Now, international players are going to take a little bit longer to get in. I don't know what their visa statuses have been, if they've been able to get visas with the lockout happening. Probably not, in which case it could take them quite a while um, to get to camp. So that would be something to look out for, um, the international players. But um, yeah, they could start camp within a couple days. And the league has said they probably need a month to uh, um, a month to get ready for the season. Right, and that's that's based on you know the uh, COVID year, right? The shortened season, based on what they they saw um, on injuries and in the projected ramp up time that they need. I, I mean, I do I do know from a a certain Royals beat writer that the Royals have actually. The majority of the big league roster, the 42-man roster right now, has undergone their physicals. So at least those are those are out of the way. The players are kind of kind of ready to go once once the stars align here. When they do, I mean, we'll see. Uh, it's still a long road ahead, but as Ariane spoke to, at least at least the two sides are moving a little bit. Money is being transferred from the owners. Uh, the owners are losing a little bit of money, and and the the players are gaining some money. So we'll see we'll see how long this takes, and and where where that middle ground ends up being. But for right now, we're gonna throw it back to our resident stupid rules expert, so that he can enlighten us on uh, a topic fast approaching for us right now in tournament selection and seating rules. Mike, what do you have for us? this week yeah so i always knew there were rules for how the selection committee operates for picking teams and seeding them but i never actually knew how it worked um so this evening i read a document um that the ncaa puts out it's the 2021-2022 principles and procedures for establishing the bracket 
Um, and it was fascinating. Um, maybe I'm a nerd and it isn't actually that interesting, but I found it completely fascinating. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Sorry. Can we backtrack a little bit? You said maybe you're a nerd? Yes, maybe. What's your okay. degree in? Uh, computer engineering with a minor in economics. No. Yep. Speaks for itself. All right, continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, the, 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 the process is actually pretty ingenious. So they break it into three parts. First, they select the 36 at-large teams. Then they seed all 68 teams. And then they place them into the bracket. Um, so the way they do the selection, right, is that um, first they first every member of the committee fills out a um, a list of thirty six teams um, that they think are the thirty six best teams, um, regardless of whether they could be an automatic qualifier or not, right? Because this process is this process is getting underway here before many of the major conference tournaments are done. So basically, each person fills out 36 teams um, that they sh that should be at-large selections, um, regardless of if they might win their conference tournament. And they also can put down as many teams as they want that they would also like to put under consideration. Um, so that's how they start. And then, so from that ballot, any team that was on all but three, um, all but three of the ballots from the selection committee is moved into the tournament as an at-large selection. So right there, X number of teams are just in the bracket right away. Um, and then there's an under-consideration board um, that um, is filled from everybody else. So if you got at least four votes on any ballot, you're moved into the under-consideration board um, for the rest of the um, process. Um, so then they just keep doing ballots to um, figure out the team. So then what they do is every person on the committee takes the eight best teams from that under-consideration board um, and puts them on a ballot. Um, and then from there, the eight teams that were on the most ballots, um, then each of the committee members ranks those eight teams from one to eight, and the four teams with the most votes get added to the field. And that process just gets repeated until you have your entire bracket. Um, and there are a couple technicalities for how you can add, you can remove teams from the 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 bracket and things like that but um that's basically the process for picking the teams does that make sense are there any questions any surprises i did not know that they had the board of everybody before it started i just assumed they started working after they got all their automatic bids but that that makes sense that you wouldn't just start that late well because otherwise the big 10 tournament you know doesn't get done till 4 p.m on sunday and the bracket comes out at 5 p.m yeah. on sunday so it'd be a little tough if you waited till the end yeah it makes sense i just never really thought about it honestly yeah and oftentimes that big 10 tournament title game doesn't matter because usually both teams are in anyway um but yeah they do start this process before this process will start like on thursday or friday this week um, well, they'll start doing this process. So, um, so then on seeding teams, um, again, it's, it's very, um, basically they just rank all the teams one to 68, 
right? Pretty simple. Um, the way they do it though is um, they, uh, sorry, I lost my spot in their document. Um, so basically they sort of do the same thing where each committee member submits a list of the teams they believe are um, the eight best. And this now includes both the automatic qualifiers and the at-large selection. Um, and then the eight teams that got the most vote from that ballot, then the whole committee votes on those eight teams. Um, and the four teams that get the fewest or the, that are highest ranked in that ballot get put on the one seed line. And the other four teams are held for the next ballot. You put four more teams on there. You rank them again. You get the two seeds, dot, dot, dot. Um, and you go all the way down the bracket doing that, and then you have a bracket seated 1 to 68. Pretty straightforward. Any questions on that? No. I'm sure that uh, we are in the majority, but myself, and I would imagine you as well, I would love to watch that process. Like That seems really interesting to watch how they talk about it, what they value, how they cast those votes. It would be really cool to get to be inside that room. Yeah. And so a couple things that are super ingenious about that that I sort of missed. Um I glossed over a little bit. So on those eight teams where, you know, the one, either the ones that go into the bracket or onto a seed line. So the other four that were on that ballot stay on the ballot and you just add four more, right? So you're just adding to that ballot and other ones that were on there stay on there. Um, so it just keeps it moving a little bit more. You don't have to repeat the process quite as much. I mean, the other thing is, yeah, each committee member is given a bunch of things they can look at, but in the guidelines, um, it explicitly says each of the 12 committee members uses these various resources to form their own opinions, right? They're given all this information, but they're allowed to weight it and use it any way they see fit. And that's where a lot of the discussion comes in, is different members of the committee, of which Jamie Pollard is one, by the way, um, use all of that um, differently. How do we get um, to be on it? Uh, basically, you have to be an athletic director or a commissioner of a conference. Um, okay, well, that, so. we're, we're not that. I was hoping maybe the 8311 cast as a whole, we could just like all sit in one chair on each other's lap and we would just be there and we could help that out. Would be fu- that would be fun. I'm open um, to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so as far as building the bracket, um, what they do is um, there are some rules. I mean, so basically, you know, the one the number one overall seed would get the number eight overall seed as the two seed in their bracket and they just sort of go down like that um, to to um, to start but then there are some bracketing rules that they have to keep into um, consideration um, and I just want to go over those real quick so the first four teams selected from a conference must be in different regions um, if they are seated on the first four lines. So if you see four teams that are one through four seeds, um, they must be in different regions um, according to the bracketing procedure. Um, Teams from the same conference that have played three or more times during the season, including the conference tournament, can't, can't be set up to meet until the Elite Eight. If they played each other two um, times, then they can't meet until the Sweet 16. Um, and they can't, and conference foes can never play each other in the first round, um, regardless. Um, with the exception of the first four. Those bracketing rules can be relaxed in the first four, but otherwise 
Those are um, solid conference rules. Um, they also try to keep teams as close to campus as possible, um, but that's not always um, possible. You're also not allowed to play in any facility in which you played three or more games in, not counting the conference tournament. And um, you are, they also try to discourage playing somebody in the first round that you played in the non-conference season, but that's not a hard and fast rule. Um, and the last thing is that they can only move up or down one or two seed lines because of these bracketing rules. You're not allowed to move from like an eight seed to a five seed due to weird bracketing quirks, or from like an eight to an 11. So there you go. Any questions on how they do all of the process? I thought it was fascinating that it's, that it's so structured. I thought it was a lot more free and loose discussion than it actually was. No, that's really cool. And I appreciate that structure because like without that, could you imagine how wild some of these setups would be? Yeah. Yeah. The structure is really nice. I think it's a really good way to do it. And I like it. I'm a fan. I really want to be in that room now and watch it happen. But nobody is allowed in that room outside of like the 12 people on the committee. So um, we sort of have our own little committee here that evaluates write that down predictions. And that committee is mostly just me. But, you know, it's a committee nonetheless. Um, and for our accountability session this week, we've got some predictions coming off the board, and it was a little bit of a mixed bag um, of predictions. First one um, was coming off the board was Kyle predicted that the Cyclone men's team would finish fifth or higher in the conference. They did not. They finished sixth, so Kyle gets a nah. Nah, nah. Um, Wyatt predicted the, the women's team plus the men's team, their combined record would be above 500 in conference play. Um, carried by the women's team, that did indeed happen. So Wyatt gets a ding 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 I said that the men's team would avoid the play-in game of the Big 12 tournament, which they did. So for that I get a ding 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 Wyatt said the men's team would win five straight games. Um, they've lost at least two games since he made that prediction. So for that, Wyatt gets a nah. 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 Arian said both the men's and women's team would finish three and one on the year. The women's team did, but the men's team lost to both Baylor and Oklahoma State. So that's two losses. So for that, Arian gets a nah. And Kyle predicted that the Cyclone men's team would beat Baylor, which we know they didn't, so... Um, Putting stuff back up on the board, I'm going to make an interesting prediction, considering our MLB segment, and I'm going to say that the Twins will be at least tied for first place in the AL Central at the end of April. So, if no games are played, we have to count this as correct? Is that what you're saying, or does the panel say... say if I would no, say zero and zero is tied for first, so yes. That's garbage. But the panel, but we, we this is a panel here. We are a, a committee. committee. Even, yeah. What is what does the committee say? If there are no games played, do we discredit this because no games have actually been played? I think, I think that's so. probably the best way to do it. Yeah, that's garbage otherwise. Well, then All I, right, so if no the, games are what? played, this will be wrong. What? Then I want a different prediction. I was assuming I was going to be right in that case. <laughs> no. What is this? No. What is Get this? Get out of here. You've been committed. I am the committee. <laughs> <laughs> the committee just got usurped, so... Oh, man. I forgot that the Guardians were a team. I was looking to see who's in the division. 
It's the the White Sox, the Guardians, the Royals, and the Tigers. It's not a great the Guardians logo. Yeah. That's that's the new Cleveland team, by the way. Yeah. And replacing the the old Indians. If we're not gonna discredit it completely, I would just say it's it's a single because I don't know how to make it work. It's certainly not a single because the odds that they don't play in by the end of April are very high at this point. What I would offer is allowing this on the board, and instead of counting it wrong, it just gets struck if there is no game played. What do you think about that, Mike? I'd be fine with that. I'd be fine with that as a compromise. I like that. The MLB, committee... MLBPA, pay attention. This is how you. Uh, this is how you make compromise. Yes, and it was very quick. We it only took us like two minutes to reach this deal. How hard can it be? This, this is how you run a negotiation, guys. That's we right. should have done better. We should have walked in, told them we hate him, walked <laughs> out, and did that for like ten times in a row, and then we could have come to this concession. There is eventually. slightly less money on the line, to be fair. Slightly. So what are we giving this prediction, after all? Oh, now yeah. that we're allowing I guess we it? should figure that out. Uh, the odds of them not playing a game by the end of April. I mean, you don't really need to factor high. that in, right? Yeah, we don't just, care about right. that. All you right, care about is true. the odds yeah. of them being in first at the end of April if they play. Oh, I mean, it's got to be So the White there, Sox right? are going to be good this year. But they always start slow. The Tigers might be fairly decent. The Royals seem to start fast for some reason. In my opinion, I think this is either a triple or a home run, right? I was say, I was leaning double. Really? I'd say a double you think they have or a pretty triple. Chance? So it seems like we're centered so, in on a triple. So my, my reason... Or, okay, I'll just explain my reasoning for a double is... You know, you don't exactly know how each team or each individual is prepping right now. We can't say team because no one's prepping as a team. Each individual is prepping. I think the start of the season is going to be an absolute wild card for who's in first place, like at any given time. Do you remember this is a Twins team that finished last in the AL Central last year? Correct. They did go through some sell-offs, so I I will probably agree with triple. Let's go with triple there. Right, I'm fine with I that. Triple I'm it fine is. With that. Yeah. You had okay. I was just gonna ask if you had any contest. All right. So, do we have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep, he's still alive. He enjoyed some nice, warm Texas weather this last week, but he does not have a uh, a prediction for us. So he's gonna take another strikeout. Womp womp. I'm taking the optimistic view and want to put up on the board that there will be an MLB game played in March. Th- this includes spring training games. I see. This does include spring training games. Uh, so basically for there to be a spring training game in March, they'd probably have to get a deal done in the next week and a half. Two weeks at the latest, yeah, right? A Two deal needs to be in, it, but yeah. A deal needs to be in place by what, the 18th? Probably, yeah. Probably. This is so hard to decide because I I feel confident that whenever we have a deal, we will not know until we have a deal. I don't think it'll be telegraphed. Yeah, I don't think we'll know for four to five days. It'll just be like, oh, we're good. And then this like, will snowball drastically until we're just in games all of a sudden. Right. All of a sudden, we're not going to be like this Friday, the 11th. We're, we're not going to say, oh, well, they're going to have a deal here soon because, man, they're real close now. Uh... Double? Uh, it's between a, a double and a triple, yeah. Um, is this is this enough for a triple? I know, Ariane, you just said double. 
So, Mike, this is your vote. Ariane said double, I said triple. What do you say? I'm pessimistic right now, so I'll say triple. Okay. I'm also very pessimistic, so triple it is. I agree with I will that. take a triple. What do you got, Kyle? Uh, so, sticking with a theme of the past two seasons, uh, i.e. Tom Brady and Matt Stafford, I will say a first-year quarterback with a new team. So this includes rookie quarterback or any free agent signing this season, i.e. like maybe a Mitch Trubisky, Aaron Rodgers, if he goes to a new team, uh, will win the Super Bowl. Oh, so the condition here is it has to be... A little bit. I did change it a little bit. Yeah, It has to be a quarterback who played... For a different team last season, i.e. Aaron Rodgers playing for the Packers last season, maybe going to Pittsburgh, who knows. Like, if Pittsburgh won it next season, fine. It can't be Kyler Murray winning the Super Bowl for the Arizona Cardinals. Or it could be a first-year, like, rookie quarterback, which... How many teams draft class, have? This draft class is horrible. So, how many teams throw that out there? Probably... I don't see a lot of teams having a well, new quarterback. I predicted like, we heard a lot of talk right at the end of the season. Yeah, but we've discussed this. We haven't seen a lot of actual movement. There are reports today that the Packers offered Aaron Rodgers a deal that, quote, will alter the quarterback landscape, whatever that means. But we also means heard a deal. A ton of money. But we also heard a deal that the Denver Broncos, the Tennessee Titans, and the Pittsburgh Steelers all have deals in place to trade for Aaron Rodgers. But the. Packers GM also said that no one has inquired to trade Aaron right. Rodgers. But so. who, yeah, <laughs> okay, who believes who here? I'm just no saying, one. I'm just recording what I, I heard. I would say this is probably a triple. I do how many teams, triple. so I'm between a triple and a home run. It's depending on how many I teams agree. are going to get a new quarterback is what I'm kind of going through in my head right now. Well, how many teams are going to get a new quarterback that are also going to position right. them to win a Super Bowl, right? I'm trying to think about the new quarterbacks rather than the teams. Like, the only person I feel super comfortable with moving around is, like, Jimmy G's probably gone somewhere. But do you really think he's winning a Super Bowl? I don't. But is he going somewhere? Because he's now go he's undergoing surgery. So, like, oh, is anyone going to trade? Is anyone going to trade for a guy just now going under surgery? I'm going to say home run. I'm going to say home run. I, I agree. I All agree. Right. Home I've run. been outvoted. A home run it is. The committee presides. <laughs> what do you got, Ariane? I am going to say that a Big 12 team will make the championship game of the NCAA tournament. Uh, I just realized there are two, and now I have to decide whether I want to. I'll say either. Nope, I'll say men's. I'll say both. A big, a big oh. team will make both Wait, the men's up. and okay. women's <laughs> tournament championship game. Okay, well. That evolved holy crap. so much so quickly. <laughs> okay, well, the odds that a men's team does it is probably about 15%, I would say, between Baylor, Kansas, Tech, and the slight chance that Texas does it. Um Women, you've got, again, Baylor, Iowa State, Texas are really the only ones that would have a chance. It's probably less of a chance. None of them are going to be one seeds. You're probably going to have two two seeds and a three seed in there. Um, you don't think Baylor's going to be a one no. seed there? No? Okay. The fact that you said both turns this into a triple bets. or a home run. A triple? I was going to say a triple is in the conversation. 
I'm what, you think the double is the most of the conversation? It is a home run, obviously. I, I am leaning home run. I would Pretty also heavy. tend to lean home run. I mean, the odds of Sounds good. Chap both making it. Home run it is. You got it. I need to try and hit some singles. You, you uh, do. In the I'm pretty weeks. sure you only have like one right prediction. You do only have one I, right I prediction right. this entire year. Yeah. Have I ever predicted anything that's not a triple or a home run? Yes. I don't think I have. You've predicted yes, three because, doubles. Because I three doubles and a single. Oh right, right. I at least had a hand in one of those doubles. Three doubles and a single. Yeah. What did I do a single? Okay, it doesn't matter. That's fine. With a very high scoring write that down prediction segment with two triples and two home runs, that concludes our write that down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 166 of the 8311 cast. Appreciate you sticking around. I'll see you again next week. But until then, signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter. Talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.